Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. I've uh, been a pretty busy week here, Derek. Hey, have you noticed Mike Burns? I did, and uh, I noticed that he's moving right along. Yeah, he. Uh, I noticed last week he put up a video of his uh, skin-on-frame canoe that he's building. Yep. He varnished the, the frame. He varnished the yoke and the, the thwarts and his seat. All the wood. He's, he yeah. took it outside. He varnished it. Spray. He's got a spray varnish system. Yeah. Nice oh, handy, Must eh? be nice, eh? <laughs> Not like us who use that little sponge brush yeah. thing from well, Crappy Tire. He's got a semi-professional wood shop in his... Uh... Yeah. Lucky guy. <laughs> uh, but then he just posted a video of himself weaving his canoe his, seat. Yeah, his canoe seats. Yeah. yeah. With camera straps. Yeah. Got that all going and uh, whatnot. And then he... Today he posted... Couple pictures. It looks like he's got the Dacron on. Yes, I saw that. And so that was that. He must have just posted that this evening, did he? Yeah, he's uh, he's moving quite along, uh, right along on this yeah. thing here. And that's like midweek project going on there. Usually as weekends. Does he stuff. not work? <laughs> he works. Did he? Did he get fired? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but I did put a uh, a little note on it. Say, yeah, you can iron your canoe because that's what he's putting it on with, yep. right? Yeah. You can iron your canoe, but you can't iron your shirt and pants. Ooh, his wife jumped on that really fast. Yeah, correct. <laughs> correct, he can't. <laughs> I think Mr. Burns has been busted. But uh, yeah, following along, Mike Burns, I got to say, we're really impressed with how that skin-on-frame uh, canoe is coming along there, buddy. It's coming together really nicely, eh? It really? was, uh, so he's ironing it specifically to shrink the background to make it drum tighter on the canoe. And uh, it, it looks it, it looks like it's pretty much done. So, uh, but what I guess he's got to varnish the Dacron so that it yeah, hardens. Yeah, yeah. So to harden and he's got to make sure it stays. Because he says there was a heat-sensitive tape to keep it to around the gunnels, To right? hold it to the gunnels. So yeah. I don't know what he has to do after that with it. But then, well, he'll probably add a normal gunnel, I guess. I guess. You wouldn't want to rely Staple on the tape. Staple it in or something like yeah. that, yeah. yeah. But, uh, hey, it looks it might disappear one night. <laughs> when he posts, yeah, it's finally done. How long does it take to drive there? I do know where he lives. <laughs> Too long. <laughs> or maybe he'll make a make, midnight run. Maybe he'll make a, have a project and he'll make two of them for us next year. Yeah. Uh, think about it, Mr. Burns. <laughs> yes. I'll pay for materials. <laughs> uh, Copia just finished. And yes, it there's did. A, seeing a lot of videos and whatnot coming out of there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's the same every year, right? There's new gear, a bunch of demos, a bunch of presentations and seminars and stuff. Yeah. Like 150 billion people show up, <laughs> and except for us, apparently. And we had wanted to go to it, but we oh, just couldn't we make it. we had our hearts set we, on we going to We just couldn't make it, it happen. Yeah. Um, I'm saving up some cash, and I'm, yeah, you know what? I'm going next year. Yeah, we got to. Yeah. We really yeah. got to. Like, I hear it's a good time. It's like one of the biggest in, in, the, in the industry, and... So I still want to go to the one in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's in Hamburg. Yeah? Yeah. yeah Let's I'm go. Sure we can stay like with relatives of mine. Yeah. Um, oh. I, uh, yeah. Dozens of people talking about it. And, uh, you know, and like on so many things that they saw there. And, yeah. you know, they bought and new things coming out. Swift uh, Canoe and Kayak had their new Cruiser 16.8. Uh, canoe release. Okay. Winona released a new one. So there's some really pretty canoes there's some, coming. Yeah, out. there's some really. I made a comment after the Quiet Water Symposium boat that really that gray uh, the gray from North Star yeah. had that really nice gray color. Yeah. Really beautiful, sharp looking color yeah. boat, right? And the next thing I know, Swift's got the same color. Yeah. Winona's got that. Like everybody's seems to have that it's color. It's popular now. and it's yeah. a nice color. I like it. But it's it. just like cars. Yeah. All of a sudden, oh yeah, it's that that funky green color this year, and that they got the same green, and they got the same green, yeah. and they got the same green. Everybody yeah. apparently greens the color of the year. Yeah. So they, well, yeah. but oh, it's a sharp looking color, and uh, yeah, all of them are really really cool looking uh, boats. Uh, canoes, kayaks, stand up paddle boats of every size and shape and color and everything that you want. <laughs> you know, all for the picking and looking. Yeah, uh, I, I gotta think they got deals down there too. I would assume so. On the so. new stuff. I would assume so. And it, but it was interesting, like our conversation with Warren King from uh, from Mackay Paddle Surf. He was talking about the uh, a lot of the dealers and vendors at these shows. He, he said it's it's reducing now just because of online sales. Mm-hmm. So there's not as big a deals that you used to be able to get like 20 years yeah. ago. But we noticed but, that on a lot of stuff, though. Yeah. A lot of these shows, they, yeah. 
you know, they used to Sunday was the day to go. Yeah, so they because that's have when they wouldn't have to pack up. it up yeah, and, and exactly. bring it back, yeah. right? So, um, yeah, tons of accessories you need to go paddling and camping and all that. I mean, camping gear, clothing, paddles, packs, tents, you yeah. name it, it was there. There were outdoor clubs, conservation groups. And there was destination booths as well, so that you could yes. go book a destination to use all the new gear you just bought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's it's like the the event of the year sort of thing yes. for, for people to go yeah. to. And just the amount of uh, experience that's there in the form of... Um, speakers presenters seminars all that sort of stuff and that's the part that i enjoy like i I like going to some of the seminars that the people put on and hear people speak like it it, you you expect to see all kinds of you know the the latest and greatest of canoes and paddles and stuff like that you get to see that at every show but what's interesting is the 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 personal side of it you get to talk to people and you get to listen to some of these seminars and, and all the meet and greets and stuff like that it's that's that's what kind of what i the more what i get more out of yeah but and kevin callen was down there and he's doing some yes. videos posting a really great video with jim baird yes i saw love yes. that video <laughs> um sorry jim baird um uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff, a lot of videos coming out of there, a lot of comments coming out of the, out of Canucopia, uh, that about how good it was and the stuff that's there. Um, so yeah, definitely next year, dude. We're Absolutely, even yeah. even if I got to hitchhike down, we got to book it, sleep under a bridge. I'm <laughs> I'm going, you know. Um, what else is going on? What have you been doing this week besides sleeping and? Ticking your wife off and you know yes. the normal stuff. Well, I've I've been uh, I've been researching and looking into uh, like when we talked to uh, Warren King, it kind of got me thinking about Senate paddle boards and in in amongst all the stuff of my research, I came across and so I didn't have a subscription to Rapid Media's magazines and I think you had like uh, oh I had them all you had all four yeah so there was yeah. what uh, canoe fish- roots uh, ca- uh, kayak fishing. Whitewater kayak and kayak kayaking. Yeah. Yeah. There was. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, in my research, I I came across a, a, a thing about uh, Rapid Media, and I didn't realize that they had combined under one roof. So they don't yeah, have four September. magazines. No, they combined all of them together under Paddling Magazine. Yeah. So I just well, yeah. I just discovered that like what yesterday or the day before. It's like, huh? And and so you thought Paddling Magazine was a total like a fifth one. No, well, I didn't even pay attention to the label. I just thought it was. Oh, the okay. Can- I just thought it was canoe roots. I I didn't know, right? Yeah. Anyways, when I when I I saw some comment, I went and I downloaded the latest magazine, and it was interesting to see all the people who talked about the. And anyways, I'm not sure how to. Back in the day, when all these, you know, sea, sea kayaking and whitewater kayaking and canoeing, all these sports were kind of growing in, in their own little narrow windows, and you know, people would like turn their nose up at like sea kayaking and the sea kayak. Yeah, there's no crossover between there's your no crossover. disciplines. And what was interesting is all the letters to the editor for uh, for the Rapid Media, what's it called, Paddling Magazine. Paddling Magazine. magazine. So for Paddling Magazine. The, a lot of the comments were talking about this is great that you guys have everything under one roof, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was it was interesting to see that people were really broadening their horizons, and a lot of people were commenting that back in the day they had a narrow vision, and now that their kids are into it, their kid would be they the kids get them back into it, and they're whitewater canoeing alongside their kid who's whitewater kayaking, and and they bought themselves a sea kayaking uh, kayak, and so everybody is kind of going across. Mm-hmm. The different it's getting uh, people to try more things. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of and so everybody was really impressed that they did put everything under one roof, and it seems like it's it's more popular because of it. Yeah, you know what? And that's exactly it. once you start, I guess, being forced to read because you're not going to get an art, a, a magazine like that and not read certain articles. You're, exactly. you're going to start to dabble in it. Well, what's this yeah. about? What? You know? Well, yeah, hey, this and you're starting to go, oh, this thing looks, looks kind of cool, and yeah. you start reading on it and going, you know what, maybe. Yeah, I should give that a little whirl or yeah, or yeah. something like that or stand up paddle boarding yeah. or, or whatever, right? Um yeah, I mean as much as you want to just okay, well, yeah, I'm not gonna get into sea kayaking because I'm nowhere near the ocean. 
you know I'm, and plus the darn <laughs> things cost 3500 yeah. bucks and <laughs> i live in the prairies and uh, <laughs> you too. know i think i'm going to start my whitewater uh, kayaking <laughs> career downtown regina <laughs> yeah maybe you know. the spring floods yeah work. so but no you know what like yes yeah, so you're you're is uh, you're going to get people starting to read the other articles and whatnot. Yeah. And so it's it just may trigger something. And but it it was interesting to, to see the fact that a lot of people have the same mind that they are it, the, their vision of the paddle sports are not as narrow. Everybody's broadening their their opinions and their horizons on what is available out there. So it's uh, it's interesting to see that uh, that uh, you know th- that everything is broadening and paddle me- rapid media with uh, with paddling magazine is uh, it's nice to see that they are under one roof to, to spread everything across. Yeah, Scott McGregor is the main guy there. And yes. he's, he's, I guess, made the decision to say, hey, you know what? But, I mean, back in the day, he said, yeah, this is the way they're going to go. But it's a fluid thing. So, yeah, yeah he just streamlined it all into one magazine. Yeah, because so. I think they started with just Canoe Roots. And then they started dividing off. They did Whitewater Magazine and Whitewater Kayaking. And then they did the Kayak Fishing. And so they, st- I don't think they started off started with four magazines. Started with four, no. Yeah. No, but uh, no, see, I, was, I think I think it's a good idea. I think Scott made yeah, a good choice yeah. there, and uh, they um, must have they must listen to our radio show and said, "Hey, these guys have it. These guys do everything under one roof." Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, because <laughs> when we started this, you know, when I when I was first approached to to start the the, the radio show, um, it was like we want you to do a radio a weekly radio show on canoeing, and you know, I I sat there and I thought, well, you know what. It's such a narrow focus. It's, it's, it's a narrow focus. Like, mm. and you, you can, I can only talk about so many things about canoeing. <laughs> I know. You're you know, right. I mean, I good talk and talk and talk, but people are going to go, okay, he talked about canoeing last week. What's he going to talk about this week? Canoeing. <laughs> I will bet you five bucks next week he talks canoeing. And and do you know what's funny is... Uh, canoeing. <laughs> <laughs> what's funny is that we don't talk about canoeing that much. We talk about more about... All the other, all the other stuff that's yeah. out there, yeah, yeah. Because I think once we get into that groove of talking about canoeing, we can't get out. Yeah, of that we group. can't get out of that thing. <laughs> um, but no, you know what? Like that's then that's exactly what I said. I said, you know what? I could talk just canoeing, uh, but it's going to get pretty bland really fast, and, yeah. and you got to change up. So I said, well, why don't we just cover all the paddling sports? Yeah, and, and it, that's what it we works. do. And I've had people say, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm only into canoeing. Like I don't really. <laughs> care about whitewater <laughs> canoeing and or kayaking and but the thing and is, rafting and what and people don't get is that when it comes to the paddling disciplines like they all share camping they mm-hmm. all share like life jackets they all share water safety they all sh- they, they getting all sh- out on the water getting outdoors get, yeah social like get getting away from the exactly. the, the regular day to day grind yeah. of city the, life and the vehicle may be different, but everything surrounding yeah. the vehicle is all the same. Yep. So so yeah. So I mean, and and I'm sure they're getting the same uh, comments over over at paddling magazines. Like, well, I don't really care about this, that, and the other thing. But hey, can't please all the people all the time. No, you can't. Right. Yeah. So you just do what you do, and they're doing it well. You know, so we, just like us, we're we're doing what we're doing. We're talking about everything. We're finding weird crap out. And I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I heard something today to add to. Oh, I can't even remember it. Uh, it was. I was going to add it to our. We're all going to die. Oh and yeah. How is that a thing? And I I saw a new one. I said, oh, I got to remember. That. And I did. And I didn't remember it. But it's some way we're going to die paddling. Is it? No, it's, it's similar to how we're going to all going to die, but. Uh, or it's we're it's gonna take that's gonna take us out or something like that. <laughs> I'll have to find it again. You just blurt it out we'll, later. We'll add it. Yeah, I have it. So, so yeah, so uh, yeah, paddling magazine. Yeah, that that switched over back in September, and but they do have a lot of stuff, and uh, you know, but you were you said earlier you were investigating stand-up paddle boards. I was, and uh, so that started out like that's it, Warren's it's, fault. It is, and it's not like I haven't thought about stand-up paddleboarding in the past. But I just didn't know how to go about it or how to get into it, and and it's it's really to get go off the start and say, oh, I'm going to invest fifteen hundred dollars in a paddleboard, and it's like, oops, made a mistake. So when Warren started talking to us about having us out in the spring to go on a, a on a test run and just go out with him, the two of us, and and uh, I thought, oh, you know, that'd be great. At least I could test something out and I'd know which way I want to go. So, anyways, after 
you know, that kind of got me thinking about uh, stand-up paddleboarding more. And so over the last couple of weeks, I've been doing a lot more research on stand-up paddleboards. And, and I, I know more now than I thought I would ever know about stand-up paddleboarding. But I still mm-hmm. only know like a small percentage of what there is to know. But what's interesting is the, uh, like, I know a lot more about designs. I have, I, I think I pretty much know exactly what I want to buy now. And it, it's just basically, because I'm starting out. It's I, a 5000 board. $5,000 board, isn't it? Do you remember the gigantic uh, inflatable stand-up paddle board at... Uh, the Complete Paddler? At the Complete Paddler. The one paddle? that took out the entire wall? <laughs> Fits a family of 15? Yes. It, I don't know how long it was, but it was like six or seven feet Came wide. with its own couch and kitchen? <laughs> that, <laughs> that was one? huge. That was huge. That was no, like, I don't remember. It was Why do you ask? It was 3500 bucks, but it was a massive yeah. stand-up paddle board. Yeah. Anyway, so... It, in in the end, I think what I've settled on is uh, just for convenience and storage and stuff. I'm gonna go out and invest in at least two uh, inflatable stand up paddle boards with a generic design. I I mm-hmm. don't need a. I'm not gonna surf. Something good. I'm to not surf. gonna go touring. I need something that I can plunk one kid on the front of mine and one kid on the front of my wife's board, and we could go paddle around on Lake Ontario and check out some of the local waterways. And I think it'd be a lot of fun. So it's uh, it's a good start. It is a good start, and you can roll the darn thing up and stick it in a backpack and whatever, right? Or or even on a summer canoe trip, it packs away in the canoe and you flate it at the campsite in the middle of Algonquin Park, and you can paddle around. Because yeah. it's it's it, it, they compact quite a bit, mm-hmm. right? They're still kind of big when depending on the model you get, but uh, yeah, it's they're so versatile with a with a inflatable and the uh, the. I saw an article by the uh, owner gentleman from Bic. So, you know, they make sailboats and I, I don't <laughs> I don't know if Bic water watercraft is the same Bic that makes the lighters, but fire and I, water they I don't mix, so. so it can't be the same. But no, I I, I guess it, I guess they must be, right? Because the otherwise the patent on the name yeah, or whatever. Maybe. But anyways, so the guy was talking about uh with current uh inflatable stand up paddleboard technology you're, depending on the manufacturer and the level you purchase, you're basically getting 90 to 99% of the quality and usability of a of, of any typical uh, solid board. Really? Yeah. In, a, so in an inflatable. In an inflatable, yeah. It's like you're giving up some stuff. like Because it's inflatable, it... Uh, it's going to have a little bit more give. It's going to mm-hmm. be somewhat lighter. It's going to, you know, it's going to be... Prone to popping. <laughs> I guess, yeah. But you know, some of the higher end ones, they have a they have a layer on the top and bottom. So the there's uh, uh, some of the higher end ones on the bottom that you can like, you can run into rocks and yeah. branches oh, yeah. and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. It's not going to puncture, right? And so, yeah. And they, so he, there's a lot of stuff I learned about the technology of the building of these stand-up paddle boards. So it's, it's interesting from that perspective. So it's like you're getting, you can get pretty high quality and you're, you're basically, you got yourself a high-end inflatable board. Oh, and, and they're out there too and now. I mean, there's... I came across at least three different examples, and oh, and one of them was the uh, we've been previewing uh, for our uh, paddling film fest. Mm-hmm. So the gentleman that went off to India, the guy, from the one film, the four, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So the four guys, and so yeah, they the karma bums, yeah, the karma bums. They slept on the. They're stand-up paddle boards because you just reduce the pressure. Right. It's a thermorest. And I found oh. other examples. A bunch of people use it that way. They they deflate them just slightly so it's not so it's hard nice and board. Yeah. And it's like a soft thermorest. So you just put up like a mosquito net around you or something like that, which exactly. is what which they is what did. Karma right? bombs did, yeah. Oh. So and and I, one of the guys was talking about yeah, you reduce the pressure by half because they're usually. Uh, 15 to 25 psi in the boards, mm-hmm. and you just reduce it down to about 10 or 12 psi, and it's like soft and springy, and it keeps you off the ground, and you sleep on it. It's like well, there's an idea in three awesome. quarters, eh? <laughs> and if it's raining, you can just prop it up on four sticks right above there you. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just. <laughs> but I just thought that was a novel idea. Like you could use your stand-up paddleboard as as a thermos. As a thermos, yeah. I never <laughs> thought of it like that. And yet they did that. That's exactly what they did. Yeah. But there's so many suppliers of this stuff now, eh? Oh yes, yes. Well, that's that reminds me. The other thing, uh, and it was the same guy in the article from the the uh, owner of Bic. So he was saying when they went into the stand-up paddleboard market, 
they they did an assessment of the market. They talked to their marketing people and and said, "What are we getting into here? Right? What's mm-hmm. our risks?" And uh, so their market analyst came back with, "There are currently," and he said that was when they first got into it. Like that probably would have been five years ago or something, or four years ago. Right. He said at that time when they got into it. Their marketing analyst said that there's 250 individual manufacturers of stand-up paddle boards. Holy crap! And he said that the market itself, what is it? It was, uh, at that time, the market was growing by, uh, I think these are the numbers. So the market was growing 18% a year, market growth, which was approximately 250,000 board sales in North America. That's so that would have been their big lot. growth period. Growth yes, spurt there that's a big growth period. Everybody was starting yeah. to get into it. Yes, and he said because of the there was a huge variation of of quality of manufacturability, and so some he said some companies were fly by night. There was no there was no presumption that there would even be a warranty on these boards. It's just get so them order out there, in from China, sell as, it cheap, and exactly cheap as possible. Door. Get it out the door, disappear. Right, and he said from there to the high end ones, like uh, like there there's a lot of really nice like uh, camera boards. There's big uh, stand up paddle boards, and there's various ones. And he said that with the with the variations across all the manufacturers, his prediction was that within a few years. So he this article was just a few weeks ago. He said within a few years he expects there to be a, a big compression in the market, where because it's you're spreading this sales across 250 manufacturers Mm -hmm. so that's a really thin margin you're dealing with and a lot of smaller if you just do boards if you are if you don't have a lot of warranty or if you don't have a lot of good customer service you you're gone you're going to be gone he said the market's going to crush those people Mm -hmm. and the only people are going to remain are the big manufacturers who stand by their boards have good warranty have good quality and you know because if people and he says his fear is that Somebody goes in and says, oh, it's a $400 board. This is all I need. So they get out there and they don't like it because it's a really bad board or bad design. It doesn't it doesn't perform like they would expect or would want to. Yeah. And so they they leave the market. They go, oh, I'm not going to stand a paddleboard anymore. So that was one of his fears with the Warren cheaper ones. Warren had mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. And, and so he said he predicted that within a few years, he thought there'd be a compression and there'd be five or six companies remaining is in, in his estimation who make boards. So let's say by 2020, 2022, you, we're going to be just down to some some big manufacturers, high quality with a, a variation of of mid to high quality boards available in the market. And he said that's where that's where you're going to get the better return on your dollar because then at that point you're going to know what you're getting for a stand-up paddleboard mm-hmm. he said if you go out there and you try and buy a cheap board and that you're you're it's going to be hit and miss your quality that you're going to get yeah yeah you definitely got to i mean when as much as money is an issue yeah you've got to look at who's making the board what the customer service is like exactly and yeah What's going to happen if something goes wrong with your board? Or I mean, if you don't like it, you don't like it. There, exactly. There's no getting around that. Yes. But if it but delaminates if, if or yeah, if it, if it... Yeah, or all of a sudden you get a, it cracks in half yeah. or, you know, what's the customer service like? Because I'm going to be awful ticked off spending 1500 bucks on a board and having it peel in half. Yeah, exactly. You know, within, within, within three months. Yeah, and then deal. you can't try and contact Joe's Boards again, and Joe's Boards is now is, yeah, is now gone. Phil's, Phil's Bicycles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we yeah. don't sell boards anymore. No warranty. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it, 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 you got to look at all that when you're getting into something. Exactly. You know, exactly. it's not always just about the money. You don't buy cheap just to, to get into the market. Um, because, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. It's, it's probably not going to be your best experience. Yes. You know? Yeah. You can go buy a cheap ass tequila and drink it. Yeah, and you're mm-hmm. getting a yeah. <laughs> you can yeah. drink it. It's, it's not a gonna step by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna strip everything yeah. from your tonsils down to your tippy yeah. toes. <laughs> this is fantastic nail polish remover. <laughs> you can go spend some a couple extra shekels and get something much better, which is like ooh. Yes, you start getting tasty, tasty, right? But <laughs> same, it's the same with everything. Yes. Right? So you you, you got to look, do your research, and then hopefully, um. Laird Hamilton. Laird Hamilton? Is that his yes. name? Oh, yes. Uh, is it Laird? His last name's Hamilton. It's Laird Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, he's a guy that does... He had 
You were, I think you sent me videos. Yes. Of the hydrofoil oh, thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, uh, so, yeah, in that, we watched a bunch of Laird Hamilton's videos because we were looking at the cross... Oh, when we were talking about, you know, the market fight, who oh, owns... who owns surf, surf, st- uh, stand-up paddleboarding. If it goes into the Olympics. Yes. And in amongst those videos was the... Uh, it was a stand-up paddleboard hydrofoil. Right, right. So, That's where I saw it. So, you basically, your board is floating anywhere from, like, 10 to 18 inches off the water, and it smooths out the bumps... It smooths out the ride. You're faster, but you need big water for that. Yeah. Like you need, and it, it was showing he. Uh, and what was interesting is they could even make it work on flat water by by dancing back and forth on the board to make it move through the water. But what? really, yeah, they were jumping yeah. on it and they were moving front to That's back. That's a lot of work. And, yeah, there was a lot of work. What but, about behind a boat? Oh, that would be neat. You get one of those guys with the big, the big wakes, right? I've seen. I what bet are they you could do that. There's, um, I saw that back in the '80s. There was a, uh, it was, water it skiing. was a surf ski. It was a surf ski thing, but you sat on it, and so you could either sit on this surf ski, right. and you could surf ski on, like sitting on it. It was like a chair with a ski on the bottom. Oh, okay. But they also had them with hydrofoils, so sitting in a chair with hydrofoils under it. But now you can get them in a stand-up paddleboard with that same hydrofoil and basically if you, you, they ride uh, the wave Laird Hamilton was being towed out to the big wave by yep. a, a jet, ski jet ski and dropped off at the peak and he was just cruise over these waves and down these wave faces and it was like incredible it's like and the speed so smooth yeah so smooth yeah that's that's something so you need to get it I think I'll get one of those when I get my whitewater kayak in Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting though is that the hydrofoil design is uh, it, it was uh, what is it? They were saying that it's not a market that they expect to expand very much. Yeah, I mean need, that'll be a coastal yeah thing, right? You need you need specific experience and time to learn that. Yeah, not a lot of people are going to invest the uh, you know the twenty to forty hours a week to be really good on one of these things. So you might. You know, putter around with it, but it, it's not not a lot of people are going to get into that type of yeah, thing. Yeah, and I'm wondering it's how much neat. they're asking for them too. Yeah, I don't know the price, but I can't imagine if a normal stand-up paddleboard is fifteen hundred to two thousand. How much that? Yeah, that's going to be a bit yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, no thanks, man. No Need a bit thanks. deeper pockets. It's, it's another one of those that are. It's a cool something to try yes. and see, rent yeah. it maybe, and exactly. give it a whirl. But yeah, you not happen. <laughs> exactly. Uh, David Lee. Yes. He's been his taken, off his season seasons totally changed, eh? Are amazing. What did he call himself now? He was he's the passionate paddler and now he's the And then he's the passionate puddler, punisher. Yeah. Because there was never any water on his trips. Yeah. But they called him something now for for mountaineering. The passionate peaker or the peak? Passionate peaker. That's Is it. it. The peaker? The passionate peaker. So I was like, I think of yeah. mountains as peaks. It works. It's so what he's doing is he has picked, there's, I don't know, there's a series of mountains under, uh, mountains under 4,000. So there's like a number of them, 18 or 25 of them. So if you are, I can't remember the name of it. I, I, I wish I had thought about this ahead of time. But yeah, so there's a, there's a specific group of mountains at 4,000 feet or 4,000, yeah, 4,000 feet and, and lower. And a lot of them are in their Adirondacks. So mm-hmm. a lot of these people say, oh, I'm going to get them all. So you go I'm going and, to the Dax. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go into the Dax. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, bag a, bag some peaks. Bag some peaks. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Going to the Dax, going to bag me yeah. some peaks. Yeah. yeah. And which reminds me, I was thinking about that when I, when I saw David Lee doing all these uh, winter adventures and stuff like that. It's like, and this might be something, David, if you're listening, uh, when I first, and, and it was, it's interesting because you, when you think about uh, where your sport comes from, you know, the evolution of your individual sport, like you, you've evolved from, you know, with your photography, you've evolved over time with different versions, like your night photography and your, oh yeah, like yeah. I saw you post some, your black and white tabletop uh, stuff, yeah, stuff yeah. Uh, yesterday. And so maybe think about the evolution of my sport, where I came from, right? So when I lived out West... I, I did some sea kayaking, but a lot of the stuff that I did was I did a lot of mountaineering. I did so Strathcona Park on Vancouver Island. There's a lot of peaks that you can you could rumble across the island at like you know I can't remember the Golden Hind is the highest point, and I think it's 1800 meters or 2000 meters high. 
And uh, so I, I was doing that and I took a, I've taken various mountaineering courses and uh, I did a week long mountaineering course. And so, you know, glacier travel and mountain rescue and, and uh, okay. glacier rescue and crevasse and, you know, you, uh, tra uh, traversing uh, glaciers. And uh, I did um, some mountain climbing. I did a did a four or five day mountain climbing, like a multiple pitch mountain climbing course, right? So it's something for maybe David Lee to think, hey, uh, if I need an experienced uh, mountaineer to help me on my uh, <laughs> in the Adirondacks, it's uh, I've got the background, David. <laughs> well, well, hire Derek out as a Sherpa. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I used to. I mean, we grew up camping and outdoors. Uh, had some canoes. Um, I got into the rock climbing and all that. Uh, was doing a lot of the, you know, climbing gyms and yep. would head out west yep. of of Toronto to uh, Rattlesnake Point, Nemo, all oh, okay. that sort of stuff, right? Had a blast doing that. And then, uh, well, everybody else starts getting busy and no one can go climbing. And I even had Mackenzie when he was maybe five. Oh, yeah? At some of the climbing gyms. And he was, yeah, Joe Rockhead, stuff like that when it was around and. uh started the rock climbing and stuff but um no then you know then the canoeing stuff took over exactly, and yeah you know that's where it's at right now but I, like i say i'm sort of tossing up the idea of a kayak now too so <laughs> come one of them double dippers yeah it's the evolution of yeah. your sport right like and for me it was uh i lived out west so it made sense right so it was uh you know i i did, spent a lot of time in the mountains mm -hmm. uh, the courses i took were with uh yamnuska mountaineering out of canmore alberta and, uh, but you know, when I moved to Ontario, there doesn't seem to be a lot of mountains here. <laughs> no, I, so, not that I've so seen. So that kind of side of things kind of, and you know, it and was. And it's quite the commute to the Rockies from here. It, it's, <laughs> it's a. It's, Done that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long haul, right? So, but it's uh, the evolution of your sport. It really, it depends on your environment that you're exposed to. So yeah. when I oh, first yeah. moved here, like the first canoe trip I, I did one, I, you know, I've been in and out of canoes since I was a kid, but n nothing much, right? I did one multi-day trip before I moved to Ontario. I only did one multi-day trip and that was on Vancouver Island and that was by canoe. And when I moved here, the first trip I did in a canoe, I bored a friend's canoe and I spent five days in Algonquin Park. Yeah. And that was within six months of moving here, right? And then from then on, it was like Algonquin Park became my favorite place. It was like I spent most of my time. That's there. a lot of people I find are like that. They they found that one park that they just went to all the time. And for a lot of people in our area, it's yeah. Algonquin. Yeah. And then they slowly branched off from there be, because they're on to better, different challenges. Exactly. And yes. Algonquin Park is just too busy. It's now. a busy park. And when I first Especially started, it was, summer. yeah, it like, and what I found is once you hit the second or third portage towards the center of the park, the th crowds thinned out. Yeah. But it really, what it came down to for me is, uh, the more experience I had with the park and I, I never really thought about outside the park until I've started paddling with other people. Yeah. And then I learned about Northern Ontario, started doing trips with guys from Northern Ontario. And then because of the radio show, that's like, I never even knew that French River Provincial Park existed. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about Killarney. I just kind of heard about it. And ever since doing the radio show, it's like, I've been to Killarney, you know, and I've been French to... French River and yeah, everywhere. Yeah. It's, 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 this, this radio show has expanded my horizons. Yeah. And it's, it's really out there. You got to yeah. try out the new stuff and yeah. it, it's easy to be stuck in that one sport but you, you know what you give everything else a whirl and it just opens up those extra little exactly yeah. little bits right? you just gotta kind of you kind of kind of look at the horizon and see what else is out there well it, it sort of gets into the the aspect of something i want i'm going to talk about in a bit is modern day explorers and adventurers like everybody looks at you know these big like i, I look at um adam schultz who just like four thousand kilometers across the Arctic sort of thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, Jim Baird, Absolutely. all his river yeah. trips and stuff yeah. like that. Freya Hoffmeister does all her kayaking, circumnavigation stuff. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, these are like modern day yeah. explorers and adventurers, right? And we're sitting here going like, well, I'm going to Algonquin. I'm leaving Algonquin Park and going. <laughs> so what makes you do something different like that? And I've just do it looking at everybody. It's like they're all for different reasons, and some of it's simple stuff. 
Some of it's really, you know what, a life change. They need to change something yep. in their lives. Mm-hmm. Some's just an accident. And that's what I'm going to talk about after this commercial. Ask yourself this question. Who was Oscar Speck? I'll not tell you. Spe- not Spech. Not, not Spech. No, no relation to you as far as I know. He spells his name wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but who was Oscar Speck? Quick Google that before the commercial's over. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dark Sprecht. You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. If you like what you've been hearing, you can find out more by checking us out at paddlingadventuresradio.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page for our website, where all our podcasts are available for download or streaming. We love to hear from our listeners, so if you have a suggestion for the show or want to let us know how we're doing, please drop us a line. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. So I asked, who was Oscar Speck? Well, he seems to be a accomplished paddler. He <laughs> is a accidental accomplished paddler. World record holder. World record holder. So this is what I was saying. Like, you don't know how things are going to change. You could just go out for a little paddle. Yeah. And... You get hooked, and next thing you know, you're doing these massive trips or whatever. Yes. So after World War One, and I found this article, I just doing some research, just came up, and, and, and I just found this and started reading, and I couldn't stop reading. In After World War One, Germany, um, you know, they are trying to put things back together. They ended up in a depression. Oscar Speck had a, a electric company and ended up having to fire his 21 employees yes his company went bankrupt he had nothing left he was broke he had his kayak named sunshine it's the only thing he kept right it's a folding kayak named sunshine had a you know that's all he had a couple little possessions and stuff like that and he decided he was going to paddle to cyprus where there was a job in a copper mine waiting for him yes so this you know um He's in Hamburg, 1931, Germany is in recession, loses his business, packs up his kayak, and he's off to Cyprus. So he drops his canoe into, or his kayak, into the Danube River, and off he goes. Starts paddling along, and by the time he got to Cyprus... He was having such a great time. Enjoying the trip so much. Enjoying it. Well, the the adventure. The freedom. The adventure. Yeah. And he just said, well, forget that. I'm just going <laughs> to keep on keep going. going. And he did. He set his sights on Australia. Yes. So paddling from Germany to Australia. Uh, Seems like an easy trip. <laughs> seven years after he started, he landed in Australia. Incredible, eh? So this is just... But the things that happened to him... Yes. Between Germany and Australia... And even once he got to Australia... It seems so like it's fiction. It does. And it's almost like a man out of time, so to speak. Exactly. Because things yeah. were going on in Europe... That he was completely that he was disassociated from. Totally disassociated yeah. with. So he left during this depression. And between then and when he got to Australia, you're talking the rise of Hitler. Yeah. The tensions throughout Europe. The start of World War II. Yeah. The Nazis. Everything. And he's just paddling along. <laughs> <laughs> Nazis um, weren't even a thing when he you started. Know, yeah. And you know, it, it wasn't that he was oblivious to it, but he was not aware of the full impact because it yes. is, it did impact him though he wasn't aware why wasn't aware 
how and why. Yes. It was impacting. Things happened to him and he just under well, why are you not letting me do this? Well, it's because you're German. Yeah. What does that have to do with the price of beans in Boston? <laughs> and he was he wasn't he wasn't uh aware. But along his trip, he's been shot at, robbed, uh he partied with the British in India. Got malaria. He's got malaria, almost beheaded but in Papua New Guinea, <laughs> beaten. Uh, so, uh, so while he's on his trip, paddled across oceans in a kayak never designed to see open seas. Yeah. Going Sometimes he was going like 48 hours without sleep as he battled towering waves, monsoons, uh, bone-cracking bout, bouts of malaria. <laughs> that sounds fun. Last challenge, good times. I'm having fun now. <laughs> Let's keep on going. 30... Thousand miles or fifty thousand kilometers, give or take a couple. And I had to Google that number <laughs> because, uh, like, th- that's astounding. Fifty thousand kilometers, thirty thousand miles, and so I, uh, <laughs> I went and I found a uh, sea distances. Now this is this is nautical miles, and this is like tanker traffic. Mm-hmm. So I I look for a tanker leaving Germany and arriving in Australia, and like they, they were talking. Um, Nautical miles, so eleven thousand. Depending on the on the routes, there's various uh, sea routes. Yeah, like anywhere from eleven thousand to fourteen thousand nautical miles. Well, he was take he wasn't taking the direct route no. either, right? And see, that's where I was. That's what blew me out of the water there. The the uh, when you're talking about uh, following a coastal lines. Mm-hmm. Like that adds all that back and forth yeah. adds the miles on going through Europe. Not, you know, directly yeah, to the sea yeah. and out sort of thing, The Danube right? River. Yeah, and yeah. Exactly. Over into Pakistan and stuff. So, yeah. So, he's <laughs> gets to Cyprus and says, ah, this is just too fun. He's on a tight budget, limited supplies, tinned meat, chocolate, cheese, condensed milk. Yeah. Uh, went down the Danube River, the Varda River to Bulgaria, Yugoslavia. Reached the Mediterranean at Thessalonica in Greece. Rigged splash guards, 16-foot square sail, and then island hopped all the way down the coast of Turkey. <laughs> Constant fear of capsizing because he didn't know how to swim. <laughs> and you see the videos and pictures of him? Yes. No life jacket. Yeah. Well, I don't... Think... I mean, it wasn't really the thing back in the no, 30s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't, yeah. I don't think it was a thing till like, the 80s. Yeah. Uh, Turkey, he crossed his first stretch of open ocean to Cyprus. Arriving in 1933, <laughs> so that's a that's been a year that's just to get to year. Cyprus. Yeah, first year. Eh, yeah. That's a good test. All thoughts of the job at the mine were already behind him. He never even looked for employment when he was there. Yeah. Instead, began plotting his route that would take him across the Middle East to India. So even <laughs> at that point, Australia wasn't even his goal. Yeah, he was I'm, just going. I'm going to India. What the heck? I'm almost there. Uh, he had a 48-hour sleepless paddle to Syria, where he's forced to catch a bus uh, to the Euphrates River. Yeah, which he, was, he used that to travel uh, through Iraq and to the which, Persian Gulf, which right? would be easier for like it saves him from being exposed to the weather and stuff. And yeah, and it shortened his trip, and because otherwise he, he was going to have to. He ended up in the Persian Gulf as opposed to whatever stretch of land that is uh, north of Africa there. Mm-hmm. So, um, while he was doing this stretch, he said, I guess they got, they got his diaries and stuff like that in his journals, swooped by ravens, shot at by locals, robbed of his kayak, which he only got back by bribing local policemen. (laughs) Having a good time so far? Yeah. Good. Let's keep going. Once in the Gulf, uh, he's, he's made notes of chasing sharks around for fun while struggling, struggling to survive with little food and water, he would scavenge dates from the uh, yeah, the shoreline. scavenging right? food so from the So whatever he could eat. Yeah. There was one occasion that he was forced away from the shores because of high winds, and he ended up two weeks on a sandy island, and his only company, a decomposing corpse. <laughs> hey, Phil, how you doing today? <laughs> Looking mighty thin, my friend. Losing some weight? Working out? Good. <laughs> it shows. <laughs> Iran, he caught malaria for the first time. So I, I like that. First time, <laughs> which delayed him several months. Uh, he was forced to wait for a new kayak to be shipped from Germany after his original was shredded. 
So yeah, so in Iran, I guess there must have been some windstorms. The wind whipped up the sand and shredded his kayak. Yeah. So while he was down sick with malaria, his boat got destroyed by wind and sand. And from there, he went on to what's now Pakistan, yeah. and was which was controlled by the British. So, which is a total re- This is when the total reversal happened because he's been you know months of hardship, nobody to talk to, and all of a sudden he's greeted by the Sir Norman Carter. He was the top official, British yeah. official in the region, and he was absolutely fascinated with Spec on what he was doing. Exactly where he'd been, his little <laughs> ventures, no real plan, yeah. just. Out there paddling away, having a great time. And this is where he starts to become a celebrity. He becomes a celebrity. Uh, as he's going down the coast of India, people start hearing about him. There's articles about him in yeah. the papers and stuff. And he's getting to places and everybody's waiting because they know who he is. And yeah. they're seeing this guy coming in. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, during the, he says, during the day he battled seas, capsized a total of eight times. <laughs> Night he drank in swanky officers' clubs and regaled newspaper reporters with stories of his voyage, which was... Uh, by then, more than two years old. So he's on the water by two years. That's nuts. But being so popular, it caused problems because he was trying to travel the inland waterways. There was a crush of people wanting to see him. But there were so many people wanting to see them that he was forced to go along the seas, which wasn't too good at times. Uh, in India, because he was so popular, people thought he was a spy and he got arrested. Yeah. Well, but, everybody was suspicious of Germans by this yeah. time, right? And But the advantages were the wealthy Britons offered him cash and regular payments, which allowed him to then say, well, I'm going to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> and he's making his plans. Some of the first uh, sports sponsorships. <laughs> yeah. So Hitler's in power by this point. And nationalism's on the rise. And his own countrymen were accusing him of running away and not... Uh, staying behind doing his patriotic duty to restore Germany to yeah. its former glory, right? And he's like, whatever, I'm paddling away. In Jakarta, he was greeted by the local Nazi official, which who offered him money yeah. to continue his voyage. There's got to be more of the story. I've got to look this part up. Yeah, he, yeah so he got, he got money from the Nazis. He used the money to buy some cam, uh, camera gear and video equipment. Yeah. And they also gave him a little swastika flag, which he put at the front of his his kayak, yeah. right? There's, there's our pictures of him. And they got a little flag at the front. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Just a little thing there. Um, and yeah, so the, off he goes. He left Jakarta Island hopping through the Dutch East Indies, where he got a severe beating. He was, he was stopping at all these tribes, taking pictures yeah. and doing some recording of what they're doing in that. You know, a lot of people thought he was great. Some people thought he was a god because His they looked equipment. This they looked at equipment. yeah, they looked so at the, the like equipment a as a sorcerer. Yeah, yeah. And but one tribe turned on him. They tied <laughs> him up. They beat him. They was so bad it punctured an eardrum. Uh, they were going to cut off his head. He escaped and made it all the way back to Jakarta for medical treatment because there was nothing else around. So he had to go all, backtrack all that distance. But then. You know, time keeps rolling on with Germany yeah. and the political problems. And this is where he didn't understand what was going on. Yes. Because the Dutch East Indies then told him, no, you're not coming through our ways. Go around. <laughs> what for? Yeah. <laughs> and he, he, was, he wasn't sure why. So he had to go the complete other way. And by July 1939, he had reached the far eastern tip of New Guinea skirted the coast of New Guinea before crossing Torres Strait to Daru. And September, he hopped across the islands until eventually being stopped at Saipei, where he was arrested by three Australian police officers and brought to a detention camp because he was a German spy. It's funny because you're reading some of the articles and they say three officers walked up to him and said, congratulations on making it here. What a fantastic voyage. You're under arrest. (laughs) 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 Reggie? So, um, yeah. So they, they, going through all his mail and stuff like that, they realized, you know what? Dude's not a spy. He's just doing this thing. Returned once uh, to Germany. In 1970, died in 1995. He set up, he jo- he became an opal trader. Yes. And that's what he did for the rest of his life. Yeah. 
There was a girl. His 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 story was never really told. Yeah, and but he the talks maritime about the, being the unknown. Aus- yeah, the Australian National Maritime Museum has got all his stuff and is now bringing it to light. Yeah, w- who he was and what he did. And November second, two thousand sixteen, uh, Sandy Robson from Western Australia, she recreated his journey in over five years. Like phenomenal, and that, my friend, <laughs> is who Oscar Speck was. If you want to read more of the, the story, and there's a couple of videos, check it out on um, YouTube and stuff like that. It is really, really cool. There's so much stuff there to see. So, there's a really uh, good article in Vanity Fair from January 10th, 2018, and they cover the entire journey, yeah, they, yeah, entire history. Yeah, it really in, in yeah. pretty good detail. And there, there's a, there is another one, um, Daily Mail uh, from the UK okay. had an article, and they've actually got a map of his route, which is, uh, which is really it's cool. It's an incredible as well. route, unbelievable that he he did, and yeah, he just started, and that's like I say, uh, you never know what's going to start you on an adventure like yeah, this, exactly. right? Exactly. So it's it's pretty cool, but it's really really cool to see that. So that looks like it's it for this week. Yes, we are out of time. That was a lot of mishmash was, show. It was, uh, yeah, it was a fun yeah. episode to yeah. record. A little I bit of history it. too. Yes. So uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the, the regulars. Find our episodes on iTunes, uh, Google Play, and the episode page of our website. I think yes. that's about right. Yeah. 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 That should be about it. And uh, yeah. So don't forget, we have our film festival oh, this Tuesday. Oh, yes. Film Fest next week. Yeah. Drums and Flats and Ajax. Yes. Look online. Don't find miss more it. information. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.